What's going on, family? Happy Monday, and welcome to another edition of The Faction Quick Hits. It's your man, GB Gerard Bonner, and I hope you guys are doing well. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and you did something fun, something enjoyable. You deserve to do that. Absolutely, you too. Certainly, thank you to everyone who hangs out with us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show. Big shout out to everyone subscribed to our podcast as well. If you're not, it's super easy to do. Just click the subscribe button, and that could be for you being a first timer, or maybe you've been joining us for quite a while, but just haven't hit that button. Go ahead, hit the subscribe button, and then do us a favor. Rate us, leave a comment for us on your favorite podcast podcast platform it means a whole lot before we kick things off want to shout out our top three cities from the last week shout out to new orleans louisiana who comes in at number three philadelphia pennsylvania at number two and the number one city this week for the faction listeners is in susan city california so we definitely appreciate all of you guys tuning in from around the country and around the world so as i alluded to on friday it was a very very busy weekend in the world of pro wrestling it started with friday night smackdown which in case you missed it appeared on fs1 this week instead of fox reason being the world series is on fox now whether that'll happen this friday probably not but be that as it may, certainly a significant show as it was the go-home show to the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. And a couple of significant moments we learned. Uh, we saw the debut of Bianca Belair on SmackDown, which I've got to say I have been very, very big on Bianca Belair. And it's nice to see that I'm not the only one. But it seems like WWE is as well, uh, certainly being billed as a future SmackDown Women's Champion. Gotta agree with that. I think one of the great mistakes that happened in NXT was her not wearing the NXT Women's Championship, but that's okay. Uh, you don't have to wear the NXT Women's Championship to be an amazing wrestler and get championship pedigree on SmackDown or Raw. Ask Alexa Bliss. She's a great example of that. With that said, uh, also big moments from SmackDown this weekend uh, included, of course, this uh, announcement of the tribal consequences for the title match at Hell in a Cell, which had to do everything with Jey Uso becoming potentially an indentured servant. Uh, and if he didn't, if he lost, then he'd be kicked out of the family, his brother, his wife, his family, all that type of stuff. And I'll get into that in just a second. Um, perhaps the moment I wasn't too crazy about was this Law and Otis situation surrounding the money in the bank contract, a court case. Eh. And so I'll say this, there may be some that may go, but you like the Jericho MJF situation on AEW Dynamite. Well, I think it was different right? A, I don't know that we saw that coming, and B, it's part of a larger story, uh, and C, it was just downright entertaining. I didn't like the Law and Otis situation. I really, really didn't, um, but it did lead to a match at Hell in a Cell between The Miz and Otis. With all of that said, uh, we'll get into 
what happened at Hell in a Cell in just a second, but I want to move chronologically throughout the weekend because that was Friday. Saturday night, we had the Bound for Glory pay-per-view from Impact Wrestling. Now, this is their biggest event of the year, as I've told you before, and I want to say this. I think a lot of people have potentially been asleep on Impact Wrestling. We've chronicled a lot of their history here on The Faction, and at one point we said they just need to close up shop because things weren't going well. Well, they've made changes in management, changes in ownership, and changes in personnel. Now, granted, it's super tough in a pandemic to continue to keep a promotion going, but they are. They've been putting on pay-per-views in empty arenas. They've been putting on their weekly show in empty arenas. And quite frankly, there were some historic moments that happened here at this Bound for Glory pay-per-view. First of all, there was the induction of Ken Shamrock in the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame. And we got to see some folks on camera who are normally associated with WWE. Mick Foley being one of them. Now, granted, some may remember that Mick Foley was a part of Impact Wrestling and, in fact, was responsible for the name change of TNA to Impact Wrestling. So that wasn't a huge surprise, but still kind of cool to see. But the surprise, Bret the Hitman Hart on Impact Wrestling television. And the biggest surprise is The Rock on Impact Wrestling Television. It was surreal seeing Bret Hart and The Rock congratulate Ken Shamrock and say the term Impact Wrestling. Talk about the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame. It was a big deal. Granted, of course, uh, they're legends. They can kind of do what they want. But it's really amazing to see this happen um, for both of them. And so definitely a big shot in the arm for Impact Wrestling as well. Now we get to the results. And before I get into the results, I'll say this. We had a couple of uh, new faces or popular faces show up in Impact Wrestling uh, that have been in previous companies. We saw the return of Hornswoggle, which I know some of you will go, uh, that's not a great lead in Gerard. But Hornswoggle showing up at Impact Wrestling is again significant. He showed up as part of the Call Your Shot gauntlet match, as did former X Division champion Sean Davari, who uh, at one point was a producer for WWE. But as we're seeing, those who have been let go are finding new homes, such as the case for Sean Davari. And interestingly enough, perhaps the biggest surprise on this Impact Wrestling pay-per-view was the return of Cowboy James Storm. Now, Cowboy James Storm, of course, made his name in Impact slash TNA Wrestling as part of the team Beer Money, along with Robert Roode or Bobby Roode. He has since gone on to other places and has made a lot of headway in, of course, the NWA. If my memory serves me correctly, uh, he had teamed with another former Impact superstar, being Eli Drake, to win the NWA tag team titles. And coming into the pandemic, they were still champions. So I'm a little confused with what's going on with the NWA tag titles. We'll talk about that at some point, but it's clear that James Storm is no longer with the NWA as he makes his appearance in Impact Wrestling as part of the Call Your Shot gauntlet match, but the winner of that match would be Rhino, and now he gets the opportunity to call his shot at a title match uh, of his choosing at any point in the future. Rohit Raju retained the 
X Division Championship uh, in a six-way scramble match. That was impressive. Ken Shamrock, the newly minted Hall of Famer, defeated Eddie Edwards. We also saw new tag team champions crowned as the team of the North defeated Motor City Machine Guns, Ace Austin and Madman Fulton, and the Good Brothers to become the brand new Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions. Deanna Perrazzo was scheduled to take on Kylie Ray. Kylie Ray didn't show. Instead, it marked the return of the undead bride, Sue Young, who then went on to win the Knockouts Championship. Also, the announcement that the Impact Knockouts Tag Team titles will be returning. Those champions will be crowned at the next Impact Wrestling pay-per-view on January the 16th called Hard to Kill. And in the main event, Rich Homie Swan, as we have crowned him or dubbed him here on the faction, defeated Eric Young to become the new Impact World Champion. So a lot of cool things happening in Impact Wrestling. Of course, you can check out the replay of Bound for Glory on Fight TV or wherever it is you get your pay-per-views. Now then, we move to the WWE's pay-per-view offering, which was on Sunday, and that was Hell in a Cell. The kickoff match saw R-Truth successfully defend the 24-7 championship against Drew Gulak. Here's what happened inside the pay-per-view. Roman Reigns retained the Universal Championship by defeating Jay Uso in an I Quit Hell in a Cell match. Elias defeated Jeff Hardy via disqualification. The Miz defeated Otis after a bit of a heel turn from Otis's tag team partner to become the new Mr. Money in the Bank. Sasha Banks defeated Bailey to become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. An impromptu U.S. title match saw Bobby Lashley defeat Slapjack. And Randy Orton becomes a 14-time WWE Champion as he defeats Drew McIntyre in Hell in a Cell. So here are a couple of my thoughts. Some of you went on and mentioned that I correctly predicted the WWE title match, uh, which that happened. I don't know if I gave a prediction on the uh, women's title match. Uh, I certainly did predict that Roman Reigns would retain the Universal Championship. Um, and then we didn't have much information about these other matches. So I'll start by saying this. I was incredibly surprised that Roman Reigns and Jey Uso kicked off Hell in a Cell. Super surprised. Of course, they main evented the last pay-per-view. In my mind, this was the most compelling story in WWE, with Sasha and Bailey being a close second. But with that said, I want to say this. The storytelling that happened with Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso continues to be top notch. What we've got to understand is this, and this is something I've learned over time. Sometimes we rate wrestling matches based on the moves that happened in the match. Um, sometimes we rate it on psychology. Other times we rate it on how we feel or how the match makes us feel. I think back to Hulk Hogan and The Rock at WrestleMania 18. It's one of those matches that you could turn the sound down. And perhaps it didn't look like an amazing match. But when you turn the sound up, you hear how the fans are involved. You see how you're involved. Suddenly a match that may not be five-star quality from a technical perspective becomes a favorite match because of how it makes you feel. This Roman Reigns-Jey Uso situation makes me feel some kind of way. And they are telling an incredible, 
incredible story. Jay Uso did not quit on his own volition and did not quit because of uh, too much punishment, but it was because his brother was being choked out. And then Roman Reigns cries, you know, saying, I don't know who I've become. Like, oh my gosh, I thought that was all incredible. Let me also say this. This could be one of the wins of the Thunderdome. Of course, we know that sound is being pumped in to replicate what the fans might chant or say. But the fact that they can turn that down so you can hear what's being said in the ring and these guys are using this to tell a real story of what would happen when cousins fight. Like, oh my gosh, I just think for all of the, of, of the tough time and criticism we give WWE, this universal championship situation with Roman and Jey Uso just is right. And then to top it all off, at the end is Afa and Sika. Oh my gosh, standing at the ramp to crown Roman as the tribal chief. If you can't tell, I love this. This is storytelling that I can get behind. And I am totally behind what WWE was doing, is doing with this. They can do no wrong. They are getting it right. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Again, the, the word on the street and at least the rumblings happening among the fans is this has to all somehow culminate at WrestleMania with, with Roman Reigns against The Rock. I think that's going to be amazing. I think Roman will still walk out of there as the Universal Champion, but this is setting something up for Roman Reigns' reign that I totally enjoy. Makes all the sense in the world, and it's got me excited. So this is amazing stuff. My reason for thinking that should have closed out was how do you follow that? Elias versus Jeff Hardy, not necessarily the case. The Miz versus Otis, not necessarily the case. But I will say this, what a great way to get the money in the bank contract off of Otis. No, I did not like the court case. No, I did not like, you know, the suing and all the things leading up to it. But the heel turn between Otis and Tucker makes sense. It caught us from left field. But I also say this, I don't know that anybody ever saw Otis as a successful singles competitor that should be vying for a world championship. No knock to you, Otis, but we've always seen you as a tag team wrestler. And just think to yourself, is Otis the face of the WWE? Could he be the face of Raw? Could he be the face of SmackDown in the next year? I don't think so. He didn't try to cash it in. It became more of a prop, you know, and so I got to side with The Miz on this. And so this could be a huge statement for The Miz. Perhaps he could be a future world champion once again. And what would a Miz world title reign look like now with a more mature Miz? I think it's something that I would want to see. I definitely do. Seeing how he elevated the Intercontinental Championship, I definitely think there's a level of prestige he will bring to a world championship. That makes sense. I absolutely am with that. Sasha and Bailey, another fantastic match. Again, I wondered if it was too soon given all the buildup. I thought we'd see this culminate at WrestleMania, but we're seeing it at Hell in a Cell. And the bigger question is, what happens now? right? Does this feud continue? Does Bailey look to get her title back? And perhaps the bigger question, will Sasha Banks ever have a successful 
title defense of a singles championship. Let's do the history. For all of the times that she held the Raw Women's Championship, there was never one successful title defense. So the real question is, can she successfully defend the SmackDown Women's Championship? Maybe, maybe not. Should that be against Bailey? Obviously. Uh, so we'll see what happens with this. This is interesting. On par with the craziest moment of the night to me, Bobby Lashley versus Slapjack. Yeah, that sounds compelling, right? <laughs> but even more realistically, Bobby Lashley successfully defends the U.S. title against Slapjack. And I just have to say, in the last week or so, this whole retribution deal seems like it's dead in the water. I mean, after they lost that big tag team match Monday night, and now they lose a U.S. title match, where's the allure? Where is the whole, you know, ambiance around them? And can I even look at them as a serious factor in WWE right now? It seems dead in the water to me. I don't know what Retribution needs to do to recover. We still didn't really hear a manifesto from Ali. I mean, we kind of did, but it was backstage. It should have been in ring. So for everything that they're doing right with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, I think they're doing wrong with Retribution. Go figure. And with that said, Randy Orton becomes 14-time world champion. I told you here, there's no way that this feud between them ends without Orton becoming champion. But with that said, tell me the most exciting Randy Orton championship reign. Maybe it was the first one where, of course, they don't mention this name anymore, but uh, he became the youngest world champion when he defeated Chris Benoit at SummerSlam. And then watching that story with him being turned on by Evolution ended up being a very quick title reign for him. That might have been the most exciting time I've seen him as champion. All of the other ones are very forgettable. We remember his last title reign. Well, maybe, yeah, his last title reign when he defeated uh, Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania and then turned around and was defeated by Jinder Mahal, right? So I don't find any interest in a Randy Orton title reign then, now, or forever. Maybe there's a point. Well, I'm sure there's a point. And the point likely is, looking at the WrestleMania trajectory, most of us have forgotten WrestleMania 36, Edge and Randy Orton. Then they had the alleged greatest match ever following that at uh, Backlash, which really wasn't, but that cost Edge more months in his career. We've not seen Edge on WWE TV because he's rehabbing an injury. My thoughts, Edge returns again at the Royal Rumble. This time wins the Royal Rumble and punches his ticket to battle Randy Orton for the WWE title at WrestleMania. Did I just give us two WrestleMania main events? think so. Then again, I mean, it seems like it's the obvious writing on the wall. Do I want to see Randy Orton as WWE champion from now until then? Absolutely not. I don't know if I have much of a choice, though. With that said, that's your recap of Hell in a Cell, and I probably should have given you a warning that there'd be a spoiler alert, but I didn't. I'm sorry. If I spoiled it for you, please forgive me. But I do want to hear your thoughts on Hell in a Cell, Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory, two big pay-per-views this past weekend that I want to get your thoughts on. So let us know by way of social media, at The Faction Show, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Also, you can, of course, subscribe to this podcast, as hopefully you have done. If not, hit the subscribe button, rate it, leave a comment for us as well, and then tell us the things that you'd like for us to talk about. It's going to be a big week uh, all around the board. We've got Halloween Havoc coming your way Wednesday night, coming from NXT. That should be exciting. Excited to see what Dynamite's going to do as uh, they are getting ready. They're about a week and a half to two weeks away from their big pay-per-view, Full Gear. Uh, and then, of course, we know Survivor Series is coming in November. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a big, big time uh, as the world of pro wrestling continues to march forward. And I'm pretty excited about that. All right, until next time, guys, it's your man GB, representing for my good brothers Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray. Collectively, we're known as The Faction. Have a great day. Solid